welcome to Generations of X, the podcast where we discuss the past, present, and future of all things X-Men. I am your co-host, the uncanny Dayspring. And I'm your other co-host, the adjectiveless Flinkman. I can't believe it's just us today. It's just us. It's been so long. I mean, we've had so many amazing guests. We've had cosplayers. We've had Hasbro people. We've had Banshee, who, you know, we'll, we'll have that interview coming in the near future. But I, I just, I really have been missing our, our weekly ritual of, of sitting down and talking nerdy stuff. I, I'm excited that it's just the two of us today. I know. Well, we've we've also been doing Wanda Sodes. We did a very special Justice for Maddie episode. And we have so many great, awesome guests. But every time people are talking, I'm like looking at you on the Zoom. <laughs> and I just want to be like, I want to know what Flake has to say. I just want to talk about this with Flake. I want to tear this apart. So I'm I'm so glad because so much has happened. So much has happened. So much has happened. And 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 while I'm grateful that we've we've jumped off of our our weekly recaps after Ten of Swords. That was that was quite quite a bit. We do have a lot of comic goodness to catch up well, on. Flink, do you realize that we started this podcast talking about Ten of Swords? Yeah. Like covering it weekly. It was it was very ambitious. And I I I sometimes I look back and I'm like, how with that crossover specifically, how did we survive? How are we still here doing this after having to put up with all of that nonsense? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean good nonsense. Good nonsense, great nonsense. But we we dove deep and I'm just glad to be speaking with you because there's an X-Men election going on. Yeah. And Marvel announced that in 2021, Mutant Kind will be selecting the first X-Men team of the Krokoan age, and that we, the fans, are invited to take part in this election by voting, and our vote will 100% determine who is the final member of this inaugural X-Men team. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, for, for any of you that, that, that follow us, obviously it's been you know, a little bit of an endorsement whirlwind around here, not just with us, but with our friends, you know, ex-wife and, and, and House of X, everybody has their candidates. And of course, uh, you went super hard for, for Cannibal. I was, I was all in. <laughs> but things have changed. Things have changed. And, and, and much like a, a Pete Buttigieg and, and Amy Klobuchar on, on Super Tuesday, uh, and it looked like we were both going to lose real big. Uh, we, we, we had to team up and, and throw our support behind someone who might actually have a shot uh, of winning this thing. And uh, why, why don't you tell our, our lovely listeners, if they don't know already, who, who we're throwing our support behind? Well, so as you said, initially, I was supporting Cannibal. You were supporting Strong Guy. Yeah. But we had a conversation with Jeremy Ratchford, who was Banshee in the Generation X movie. Not on the animated series. Not the animated series, as it has been falsely reported. Hashtag fake news. And, you know, you and I just had a heart to heart. We want to be a unified voice. What did you say? What was your line? You said something so perfectly. Unity over division. Yes, that's just Perfect. So we are no longer a house divided. We are a house united under a single voice. And, you know, I think this stems from you and I both reading the books weekly, especially Ten of Swords, 
and being like, there's Banshee. Banshee, say something. Banshee, do yeah. something. Banshee, use your sonic scream. Like, what are you doing, man? I, it's just like, I, I love Sean Cassidy. And of course, our book club pick this month is The Failing Covenant and Generation X1. And Sean Cassidy is a badass in those books. And it just baffles. It baffles me that he doesn't have more yeah. of a spotlight. Yeah, I mean, he's been showing up in the background as a zombie for almost 10, 10 years now. It's about time that somebody gives him a real role in the book. So if you haven't already, go to marvel.com slash X-Men vote. You only have until, gosh, I think the end of the day uh, as this episode is airing to get that vote in. So if you haven't done so, go do it right now. And we strongly encourage that you vote for Banshee. So some of the creators have weighed in and... We're going to go through all of the nominees, yeah. but just to give you guys a little, uh, wet y'all's appetite, Pepe Larraz is going for Boom Boom and Polaris. Teeny Howard is for Cannonball. Carmen Canero is for Strong Guy. Yeah! Russell Dodderman and Leah Williams and Zeb Wells are for Mero. No, I haven't seen anyone officially endorse Banshee to the degree we have. To the degree, they're not going all in like we are. And that just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make, doesn't any, make sense any sense. So, so Banshee is one of the candidates. I, I feel we've covered him. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about him? No, no. I mean, he's just like, you know, I said it in my political ad, you know, he's just been around since giant size. He's got that iconic X-Men vibe behind him. You know, to our generation, he's the headmaster of, uh, of Generation X. So he's got like this multi-generational appeal here. And I'm surprised that more people aren't pushing for him. He was one of the few mutants, I think maybe the only mutant that Celine resurrected in Necrotia and actually overcame her programming. He has that scene where he's like, oh my gosh, Emma, Scott. And, you know, at the end, I think it was purposely cagey, but he did get away. Mm -hmm. And then he came back during Remenders. And as you said, just so perfectly right now, he's been a zombie for 10 years. Literally, he's been a zombie for 10 years. So those are our feels on Banshee. Our next one is one you love very much. I love her very much. Polaris. I mean, look, I love my girl Popo. We know I love my girl Popo, but... (laughs) The fact of the matter is, is Leah Williams is doing tremendous things with her over in X Factor. And that is literally just getting going. And I think it would be such a shame if those plans had to be cut short to move her, uh, you know, from the B team to the A team. It's not that I don't think that she's worthy of a spot on the A team. It's just, I think she'll be given more to do and, and be more of an important player where she is. And Leah has already said on Twitter that if Polaris wins this poll, she's going to have to give her up. And I don't want that. I don't want that at all. Here's a hot take. And maybe this is going to be something that's going to come down later (laughs) in this episode. I'm not that big a fan of X factor. You're crazy. I, you know, we will, we'll discuss that, but I agree wholeheartedly with what you just said. If you throw Popo, which by the way, you know, I never called her Popo until you years ago, you said something and you're like, Oh, Popo. (laughs) Who are you talking about? And I, since then, I mean, this is 
blink. This is probably like seven years ago. I think I was still at Hachette when you said that. And I thought it was hysterical. And I just went around the office that day going, Popo, Popo. Like, I mean, come on. I know she's a powerhouse. She's a major player. She deserves to be called by her full name. But how can you not? Popo is just so fun. The gay stands will call her that. No, but I agree with everything you said. I'm not the biggest fan of X Factor, but I think she is having her time in the sun. And if you move her, she's Leah Williams, who I think is a brilliant writer. It's not a criticism on her writing. I, I think she has done a lot with Popo yeah. and I want to see where she's going to take her. I think she has, she deserves to have that story told to fruition. I think one, one thing I will say, one, the, one criticism I do have uh, of X Factor and Polaris specifically, and I, I've mentioned this before, is I feel like she's written younger. I feel like she's written as more of a peer of like the new mutants and Rachel. And of course that's not, that's not correct. She's old. She's definitely older than them. She's definitely more tenured than those guys. Um, so I do think that that's a little bit somewhere where, where Leah has gotten it wrong uh, with Polaris, but if she did join the X-Men, I would, you know, like to see her elevated to the status that she should have. So we got Forge next and <sighs> look, I, I love Instagramming photos of Forge in those short shorts. <laughs> And I think it's X Reads. X Reads, our friends at X Reads mm-hmm. are Chandler and Chris are supporting Forge. I I loved him in Messiah Complex. That story where he was here, like, well, since the baby was born, now we have two futures that have opened up, mm-hmm. one with mutants and one without, and he sends Jamie to both. But after that, what the fuck happened in Astonishing where he had like this meltdown with like the ghost boxes? Yeah, so that's what I was going to say is I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, in in defending Forge be like, well, he's always been a good guy. He's never been a bad guy, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, Forge has had some pretty questionable moments. Like, not only did he, like, destroy a couple of alternate realities in Astonishing <laughs> X-Men, but l- lest we not forget, he created the gun that stripped Storm of, of her powers. So... Forge hasn't always been quite the heroic character I think that people make him out to be. That's not to say, of course, in the era where Magneto and Apocalypse and Selene are hanging out on Krakoa that Forge is any sort of problem. But just in general, I don't want him for this. I think he is better as tech support and backup. And he's already (laughs) kind of playing that role well in X-Force, which we're actually, I have some thoughts on that. We're going to get to that that later how he's being utilized in that book but in general i think that that kind of role works best for him i don't think he belongs in the field yeah i love it that Magneto calls him up and he's you're like i got locked out of my computer and forge it's on the case <laughs> yeah i just to to your point though it's not that i think we shouldn't forgive forge right however warren ellis i believe wrote mm-hmm. that that astonishing mm-hmm. and it first of all he was salty as fuck to storm yeah. in there and then it ended with Agent Bran like blowing up his his station mm-hmm. and us thinking he died. And then he just shows up randomly as Dazzler's like manager or production manager. Like something so, crazy like that. Something crazy yeah. like that. Or he may have been on like an iteration of X-Force, but no one's mentioned that to my knowledge. No, no. one's mentioned ghost boxes. So I would love to see a leap in where that forge was in this forge. And again, I, I have nothing against forge, but you know, I agree 100% with what you said. Let him let him stay as tech support for Krakoa. 
Right. Right. And I think, I think it would be a different story if he was like, had like a MacGyver power set and he could just like MacGyver things and build weapons in the field. But he, that's not how he has to have the tech. He has to like have blueprints. He Mm -hmm. can't just, you know, Jimmy stuff in the field. So I just, I don't, unless he comes prepared for the situation already, I just don't see the benefit of having him there on the team. Boom, boom. Next. (laughs) No, no, no. Look, I love, I love Tabby. She's, she's right here over my shoulder judging me for, for, for saying that, but she doesn't belong on the main team. She's a hot mess. She drinks on the battlefield. You said it all over our Instagram when you were, when you were, uh, promoting her, her ex-boyfriend cannonball over her. Um, the photo of Tara Reed on the red carpet with the nip slip. That is, that is boom, boom for me. That is, that is. And I think that that's okay. I think that it's okay to have a sort of try hard character who no matter what she does, she's kind of a hot mess. And she doesn't always, you know, when she succeeds, it's kind of by accident. Um, and I, Which she's just a great. liability. They just don't need her in the field. We read Secret Wars 2. I'm forgetting for what I think we're, oh, for our OK Boomer yeah. Um, yeah. segment. I loved that first appearance oh, yeah. of her. It was so well written and she was so fleshed out and the pathos you had for her as a character. The other thing, of course, I've been rereading X-Force. I love her in that. But the other thing that I thought she was a breakout star was in Next Wave. Oh, of course. And that's sort of where all this, this more of a joke Tabitha came into play was with next wave and they can't divorce her from that at this point. Oh my gosh. You're so right. But I just, I thought she worked well on the team there. I loved it. But you know, for the X-Men, like Krakoan X-Men, like this is the inaugural team. Yeah. I just, I would rather have her like how we saw her new mutants. I, I want her on another team. And maybe with what you kind of just said about Popo, which is, you know, the A team is great. It elevates your status. But the B team, that's a lot of fan favorites. Yeah. You're going to get, you have your heavy hitters out of the way so you can focus on these, you know, lesser known characters and giving them better stories. So I, you know, I like, it's all playful shade with Boom Boom. Mm-hmm. But I really, she's not my top pick. No and, no, and and she's just a blaster. I mean, her power set. You know, with Forge, you can argue necessity for the team. Yeah. You know, in terms of power set for Boom Boom, you know, because she just blows things up, time bombs. You know, it's it's a great power. We already got a power set, you know, a destructive power set like that with Cyclops. So, like, if we're looking at who's bringing what to the team, I mean, Cyclops can already sort of he's already your destructive, explodey person. Um, and and another reason that I don't, you know, I. I have a hard time deciding who I really want with this because we know no matter what Cyclops and Jean are going to be the focus of this book. And pretty much anybody else who joins the team is just going to be in support of their story. And it's like, depending, depending on, on, on what they do and where, where they choose to focus, that could be, it could be a hit or a miss. And she could be the voice of reason in their marriage. He could, there God, you well, go. Lord knows they need it. <laughs> All right, so thank you next, Tabitha Smith. Tempo. Um, so I know that, that a lot of people are pushing really hard for tempo, and I, I respect that hustle, but, like, why? <laughs> like, why? Like, 
aside from the fact that she's just another villain who hasn't had her, you know, like one of the three villains left who hasn't already been a member of the X-Men, I, I can understand her appeal for, for that. Like give somebody new a, a shot at being on the team, but I just don't see, I just don't see the appeal. I, I, I don't know what she has to offer the team in terms of character dynamics that would make her an appealing choice. I remember picking up that 94 Fleer Ultra card. I always say Flair, Fleer Ultra card. And where she's kind of like zooming through time and yeah. it's so colorful and so beautiful. And again, I was like eight, nine, 10, whatever. And I, I was just so curious about who she was and seeing her power set. I still don't know much about Tempo. Right. And I know she was in Mike Carey's Age of X Mm -hmm. where Rogue Reaper goes and absorbs her power. Mm -hmm. I love the mutant liberation front. I Strife is back, you know, in Cable. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see more tempo. And our friends at X-Wife said it best. It's she's a woman of color who needs more stories. I'm fine with that. And I think she does have, I'm going to disagree with you. Oh my God, we're disagreeing. Shocking. Shocking. Well, we haven't disagreed on camera in a while. It's true. It's, it's true. true. Let, let, let me know how wrong I am. And why. <laughs> so let me, so let me, so get comfortable. Let me tell you how wrong you are. No, she has the, the gift of, you know, being able to control time. Mm -hmm. I think that could be kind of useful. If only from a plot perspective. Yeah. No, I mean, I I think that her power set would be definitely useful in the battlefield. I, and I don't, I'm obviously she's not a garbage character or anything like that. All all X-Men characters have merit. We but, love all X-Men characters except for Beast. But true, true, <laughs> which we're going to touch on yet again. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I, I love that she's a woman of color. I love that she needs a redemption arc. I love that she's somebody who needs to get the focus on her. I just... Yeah. She hasn't, I, there's, there's nothing about tempo. She's just never done anything for me. You know, no, I, I, I think if she's given this opportunity and, and she rocks it, you know, I may be converted. I may be a tempo believer, but I think she would be better served on, on a smaller team first. Yeah. You know, I think oh, that absolutely. her jumping straight into the X-Men is not probably going to give her uh, the push and the characterization that that she needs to become a fully fleshed out character because once you're part of like the A team, you are it's it's an ensemble. All right, nobody nobody's getting too much characterization in Hickman's X Men these days. Gene we're jumping. And Cyclops from, will not allow it. Right. We're we're, that, we're that's jumping. That's a great point you made, by the way. Whoever yeah, I mean, we're jumping issue spot? to issue, yeah. character to character. We don't have. We've barely had any sort of overarching story, you know, for the entirety of the Dawn of X adjectiveless X-Men title. And I think throwing her on that book without letting another writer better define her voice, she's just going to get lost in the flow. I, well, that's can, just what I think. Can I tell you something? I just had like a little like light bulb moment. Are they going to relaunch Uncanny X-Men? Oh, probably. With, with, with this team. I mean, anyways, it would make sense. But anyways, that's just speculation. I agree. Look, it, my official stance on tempo is... She's not my. She's not my top choice. However, I I would be happy to see her. That, that's I would be sort happy of to feeling. see her as well. That that that's sort of where my feelings for her. Yeah, I I I want to make it clear that I would be thrilled 
to, to have her escalated to the big league. She's just not my first choice. And I, I worry that she would get lost in the cast and not to just ramble too much on this point, but you, you also said something about a villain becoming an X-Men. Like she's one of three who have, who haven't done that yet. I kind of like that perspective. Just, I think there's some characters that are just more interesting, not being X-Men. Yeah, and making forcing them to be X Men from an editorial standpoint just puts them in this corner from a story perspective. And I like her being a very rich, complex character who's fighting for the mutant liberation front. Yeah, and she has more radical ideologies than playing state with the Krakoan government. Right, you know what I mean? Right. So no, I totally know what you mean. And it's like at the same time there's still going to be having her join the X-Men sort of is putting her in line with the X-Men's ideology. And from my perspective, there still should be different ideologies on Krakoa. These, yes, they're all, all sharing a nation and yes, they have a government governing all of them, but that doesn't mean that their ideologies are all going to be the same. So just lumping her in with the X-Men and dismissing her, you know, the perspective that she had before, which I'm not to say that they would necessarily do that, but I just don't, like I said, I just don't see her getting the panel time she needs to evolve her into the character she should be if she's going to be hanging with the the A-team. So next, uh, I want your thoughts on this one because next on the list is, of course, Cannonball Sam Guthrie, who who you were previously pushing for pretty hard there, Dayspring. I, look, here's the thing. For me, a glorious period in my X-Men fandom is going to be the 1996 X-Men, yeah. the Onslaught era, the Joe Mad art, Eugene was going by Phoenix, Xavier was a traitor, Sam in that blue jumpsuit with the yellow yeah. boots and, and his rider strong hair. And his I, harness. And his harness, battling Gladiator, like Gladiator is about to deliver the final blow, but no, Sam pulls it together and is able to defeat him against all odds. Yeah. It just spoke to me when I was you know, 12 years old back in 1996. And I love Sam Guthrie. I think he would be perfect for the Krokoan X-Men team. He, much like Cyclops, he's a watered-down version of Cyclops. Yeah. Cyclops in training, he would be perfect to take marching orders, to be part of the government and and do as he's told. And that, for me, was a lot of the big reason why I wanted to endorse him. It was was less... It was was less about my, 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 my passion for him, but more... Who would be a good fit for a Krakoan yeah. X-Men? Who will fall in line? He's probably the most obvious choice for me. And i that's why I was so surprised to see him in second to last place in the early vote. Oh my God. By the way, and in, in, I want to give us credit because our polling data, <laughs> our polling data matches more or less yeah. the Marvel data. So listeners, your vote does matter. The, the fandom we are part of on Instagram is a good cultural sample of the fandom at large. Yeah, it's crazy how how aligned those those numbers are. And it's like, where's the love for Sam? Like, I feel like when we engage people, people love Sam. But from this list of characters, he is not who they're choosing. Sorry, not when Popo's on the case, but sorry, Sam. I want to go ahead and mention the next name on the list, which is Sunspot. Um, because I want to lump those two characters together because the reason that I don't want either of those characters is because I think that their status quo right now, and we'll get into this when we're, when we're touching base on weeklies that we've missed. I think their status quo right now is interesting and fun. And I wouldn't yeah. want it changed by them being plopped onto the X-Men. 
that that's yeah. it. It's it's pretty simple. I agree. I agree. And the only case I could make for Sunspot is that he could be the human torch of the X-Men, kind of like that hothead, but you have Wolverine, maybe Iceman will be part of the team. He, you know, that that personality type that goes against the grain is already in the X-Men. I, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure you're talking when you refer to him as the human torch you're talking about his personality and not his power set because oh, yeah. we're not going to be Brian Singer here and have oh, him be just no, another no, no. generic flaming guy. Yeah. I, I, I meant it in the broad terms of that, like hothead yeah. flaming okay. guy, obviously, but their power sets are very different. I remember your rant about <sighs> some spot in days of future past. I, I was pissed. They didn't, yeah. that was, it was wrong. It was wrong. They just had him. Uh, he was the human torch. What? Well, no. You know, Olivia Munn, little T here. Olivia Munn has gone on the record and said that Brian Singer and Simon Kinsberg both did not know much about the X-Men, especially Psylocke and Olivia Munn, who was a campaign for the role as a big Psylocke fan, had to tell them yeah. about Psylocke. It's insane. It's Not insane. But hopefully that, that era is behind us. Woo! All right. This next one. Stupid. I mean, strong guy. Hey, 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 hey. You know, just because he's a jovial, jolly, funny guy <laughs> oh, does he? not mean he's not intelligent. Uh, uh, a funny guy who murders children? I mean, you know what? In that multiple child... lives. In multiple lives. No, but like, listen, listen. I understand that those stories are problematic, but from my perspective... This would this this is an opportunity for them to to move him past that. Like the X Men, this 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 team of X Men has two Dark Phoenixes on it, Cyclops mm -hmm. and Jean Grey. So I don't think a little personality corruption where you make you know questionable decisions uh, should hold any should exclude anyone from from this vote. But I I, I don't know I I can't forgive you know the act of him killing rain's son because i mean that was fucked up they're super close and and, and and they have been for decades but within the context of the story it, it worked it worked <laughs> so i can't I, I can't excuse the act all i can say is that strong guy has been around for you know over 30 years he's been a mainstay of x factor He's been a mainstay of the backgrounds. He's shown, he fought in Infinity War, by the way. He, he was in he Second did. Coming. He was in Extinction Agenda. Like he's been around for all these major of Age of Apocalypse, as you have mentioned, where he murdered, was it Charles? Did he murder well, he Charles? attempted to murder Charles and Rogue stopped him. And she said, don't ever touch my child again, Gene Trash. I'm sorry, and what child? <laughs> and he would eventually die, Charles, in yeah. the remainder follow-up. So I, you know, here's the thing. Just answer this question for me. Does he have a soul? Yes, he's been reincarnated with a soul. Okay. I mean, because, of course. Well, Layla Miller says she resurrects people, but they come back without souls. Uh, but what about what about Krakoa? No, I, I agree with you. That's a larger question I have for Krakoa. But this is what Layla Miller said in X Factor. She's you're like, I bring people back, but they come back without a soul or, or conscious. I'm forgetting the particulars of it because it's right. been a minute since I read that that wonderful X Factor run. But I was just like, OK, so he's soulless now. And yeah, I mean, did the X-Men 
were like, okay, Layla Miller brought you back. Mm, you're a little defective. Let's resurrect you yeah. <laughs> now with the Krakoan resurrection protocols. I don't know. But I, you know, to your point, because I, I came here ready. I knew that was going to be your argument about, you know, Cyclops and Gene have a redemption arc. But you're right. Here's the thing. They have not given Strong Guy the opportunity mm-hmm. to have a redemption arc. So if we put him on the X-Men, the Krakoan X-Men, will he have the opportunity to redeem himself? And I would like to think so. I would like to think so. They've been using him in the background for years now as if nothing. He was he was in that, what, New Mutants Lost Souls oh, uh, miniseries, which oh my God, Lost Souls. Yeah. strange uh, is all I'll say about that miniseries. <laughs> and there was no, there was references to it, but we don't know how he's back on Earth, how he's back to normal. I don't know. So that's a story that we need. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be in an X-Men proper, but it is a, a, a story I'd like to see. And okay. however it happens, I think, you know, Guido deserves his moment. And I hope whether it's, it's clearly not going to be the X-Men vote. He's firmly last place, oh, uh, really back in a winner there. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, he deserves a shot. And whether here or elsewhere, I, I hope he gets it. And if if Polaris really does get taken away from X Factor and put on X Men, maybe Strong Guy can fill her spot. Right. And Guido has gotten a lot of love this last year with his Marvel Legends build a figure. It's a great figure. It's right there. It's right there. And it was number. It was our our bath pick for yeah. 2020. All right. Our next one is Marrow, and this is a character Warpath. Dylan and, and Regina, both who have been guests on the podcast over at House of X, are heavily endorsing. And I got some feels. I just, I don't think she has the heart to be oh. an X-Men. Oh. No, I, I, <laughs> That's low-hanging fruit. Low it's low-hanging hanging fruit. fruit. And also, you have to remember, she's served with the X-Men post having her heart being ripped out. So, like, to That's... say she doesn't have the heart for the X-Men now... <laughs> Seems like 22 years too late, maybe. I, by the way, I read the 12 Operation Zero Tolerance, that entire era. Maybe like I reread it in like the last year and a half, two years. I love that era. I feel that era gets significantly like that, that, that little sweet spot before Morrison. A lot of people just sweep that under the rug and say, yeah. oh, the X books were really bad on to Morrison. There were a lot of great character moments. And definitely. definitely. Sarah slash Marrow really did shine during that. Definitely. Episode. I would say that when they decided to evolve her into a pretty character, that was a mistake. Mm. And I'm glad that we have taken oh, back a little bit. I'm but, still thinking that 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 panel where she's in the mirror with her hands on her cheeks. Yes. Like, I'm pretty. I'm like, no. Give me That's Marrow. such a wrong direction for that character. And I'm so glad that people basically immediately overturned it. But I will say... Marrow was my gut instinct for this. Oh. I love Marrow. I love, like you said, I love that era of, of, of X-Men, Operation Zero Tolerance era. Um, I think her hero look with the green and the blue, it's one of my favorite designs from the 90s. Um, she has a cool look. She's still got a lot of story left in her. And I think that it, it, we could get some really interesting stories with, with, with Marrow on the team again. Um, and it's been a long time since anybody featured her prominently. I think it's been at least five years since she was a member of, uh, I think it was Cy Spurrier. I think he did his X-Force team. Um, and that was really interesting. I loved, I really enjoyed that book. I'd like to see somebody pick her up, but I don't think it's going to happen here. 
Yeah. And I just think she, I loved her in Gene Nation in mm-hmm. that Generation X arc. I thought she was really great. I The thing about Mero that I think she could bring something unique to the table is we're, we don't know who's going to be on the X-Men team. I, I have like some headcanon on who it could be, but let's just say Gene and Cyclops who have always been like the quarterback and the cheerleader of mutants. Mero is the other. She cannot pass. She is yeah. part of the Morlocks. Bringing that perspective to the X-Men and maybe having opposing ideologies, as you said, would be really interesting. Yeah, we'll see. I'm not against Mero. She's just not my top choice. I don't know if I'd be happy with her pick, like Tempo. I'd be like, not my pick, but like I see it. Mero, I think I'd be like, I would have wanted other characters, but I don't think Mero is undeserving of this narrative. How about I, I would be very, very, very happy if it, if it was Mero. What about Armor? Our last, our last candidate, Armor. She's okay. Um, I don't have a lot of strong feels on Armor. You know, I personally am not the biggest Astonishing X-Men fan. So like her rise in that book doesn't, doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I, I honestly, I think she's already over in S.W.O.R.D. I think that they've given her something unique to do over there. And, you know, much like Polaris, Cannibal, Sunspot, I, I don't think she needs to be taken from from where she is now to be placed with the X-Men. Um, I guess I would be fine with it, but of all the student kids, she's probably the one that I would want the least. Really? That's interesting. I I reacted well to her when she was introduced in Astonishing. And then when they made her part of the team and she was like tweeting at the beginning, being like, I need, you know, a superhero name. I, I, I don't know. Was she supposed to be a spiritual successor to like Jubilee? Yes. And pixie and she was going to be like wolverine's like cool sidekick i love her power set and i oh her power set is great and by the way i do want to say armor taught me what twitter was (laughs) yeah same here i think i even remember turning to my husband jeff being like i what is what is what platform is she on and now look at us i know trying to build a twitter following go follow us at generations of x on twitter Plug, plug, plug 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 Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if I, I'm not opposed to her. I loved her in the X Men anime. I thought she was so wonderful there, and of course that anime was a reaction to the Alice Astonishing X Men. I, I don't have any qualms. Much like Mero, I, I'm okay if she makes it. Not my top pick. She's definitely not my last pick. Definitely, she not probably is pick. near the bottom for me. Really? No, she's more towards the top with like Sam and Banshee, her and Tempo. I think those. Those four, I'd be like, yeah, I, yeah. I'd be happy with those four. But I think you'll probably wind up pretty happy with whoever we get. So go to marvel.com and cast your vote. Do it now. Marvel.com slash X-Men vote. And vote for Banshee. Vote for Banshee. Hello there, generations of X listeners. This is Jeremy Rashford. Banshee from the Generation X movie, a.k.a the best X-Men in the upcoming Krakoa X-Men election. Remember, you don't need to scream for help when Banshee's around. All right, in other news, we just got a new Reign of X title. Tell us about it. Tell us about it. So it's called Way of X, and it's starring Nightcrawler. It's written by Cy Spurrier. Thank you, Flink, for telling me how to pronounce that. And art by Bob Quinn. And we've been speculating for some time that Kurt is going to start his own religion following his conversation with Cyclops in the Crucible. 
the image the that was released of Reign of X with him holding a book, which I thought was like a mutant scripture. So I, I can see this being a sort of ground, breaking ground of mutant religion. And the preview pages, I'm going to let you, Flink, like dive into it. The only thing I'm going to say is that I noticed that I didn't notice when I initially saw the preview pages was there's a shot of Xavier waking up from bed and going over to his nightstand. I love that Xavier has a nightstand, by the way. <laughs> like It's adorable. With the photos of all his children, Xandra and baby Legion with, with his mom, with Gabrielle. And I was like, okay, there's something spiritually happening with Xavier that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know that, that you've been saying since, since the dawn of X that, that Nightcrawler needed to start a Krakoan religion. So definitely snaps to you for, for seeing that one coming. Um, you know, for me, as we've kind of discussed in the past, Nightcrawler has, has never really been my favorite character. Um, Obviously, as a fan of classic Excalibur and classic X-Men stuff, you know, I have to like him. Um, but he's kind of been strictly supporting cast in my mind for like decades now. So I'm cautiously optimistic to see how they're going to put him at the forefront of this. And if he's actually um, going to be the leader of this team, if this even is a team. But that being said, I am incredibly excited about this book uh, just because of its supporting cast. Um, if you look at the preview... We've got, you know, an amazing crew of C and D listers here. We've got Pixie, who everyone knows I love, who you you have mixed feelings on Pixie, but I definitely love Oh, her. I have no mixed feelings on Pixie. I love Pixie. I hate Pixie Strikes Back. I don't you can't love Pixie without loving <laughs> Pixie Strikes Back. But anyway, aside from Pixie, we also have Loa, who we haven't seen in a while. Uh, Blink. And the most surprising addition here is DJ. And I'm probably the only person in the world who is so excited about DJ. But for those of you who don't know uh, DJ, I, first of all, I'm not surprised. He's only made about a half dozen appearances uh, in his entire career as a comic book character. And all of them were in the background over 15 years ago in the new X-Men student book that maybe 10% of you have read. The rest, <laughs> the other 90% of you need to get on that real quick. But That's, that includes me as well. Yeah, well, get on it. <laughs> but basically, DJ's whole deal is, and why he uh, like super appeals to me is because I'm a big music fan. And basically, he can manifest different kinds of music to create various power effects. So like rock music makes him like rock solid and he can beat the crap out of you. Um, you know, it, it's just a cool in theory power that we haven't really seen a whole lot done with. And despite the fact that I, I feel like he really should be teaming up with Dazzler for a sight and sound book. Um, <laughs> I'm just happy he's getting use. And Cy Spurrier is, is a great writer who gives his characters a lot of depth. So I, you know, I'm really looking forward to this for more than just DJ. I, I love like, you know, most of this cast. It seems like it's a really teleporter heavy cast with Pixie, Nightcrawler and Blink all here. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. And and maybe maybe he can clear up which Blink this is because it's That's... definitely sword Blink. She's wearing her sword uniform. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I, I didn't pick up. I. I mean, I knew she was wearing her sword uniform, but I think in like my head, I was just like, oh, you know, the, these costumes are all like kind of generic. Are we going to have one version of Blink in Way of X and then another in the Mutant Space Program? It looks over to be the sword? same. But it looks to be the same. And yeah, I, I was going to ask you, who, who do you think it was? But I know you want it to be 
616 blink. I think I would prefer it to be 616 blink at this point, just because what was the point in bringing her back and undoing that that great iconic death that she had in Phalanx Covenant if we're not so going to do anything great. with her? Which we'll discuss at book club at this book, month. Plug, plug, plug once plug, again. Plug, plug, So in... Other news, Marvel Legends news, the Dawn of X has arrived <gasps> in Canada. Uh, yes, yeah, so thanks to some of our friends up north for sharing uh, the in-hand images of the House of X, Powers of Ten wave. You know, that's, that's Professor X, Magneto, Moira X, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Wolverine, Omega Sentinel, and the Build-A-Figure Tri-Sentinel. Um, you know, I personally have pre-orders for these guys in at like, Four different e-tailers. May, may the best one win. Whoever gets it first gets my money. Hopefully I don't wind up with two sets, but because uh, that, that usually is how it rolls for me. But I'm really excited to get my hands on these figures. Our first X-Wave of 2021. I, the other night, just typed in House of X Marvel Legends on YouTube, and a lot of people have been reviewing them. And I think what happened was they were available on walmartcanada.com. And one reviewer was like, I ordered it on Monday and it arrived on Wednesday. Crazy. And I was like, motherfucker, why do I always order from like the from like the site that's always the last to to get it? This happens to me all the time. That's why you so, gotta order multiple places, man. And I have been so excited after Ryan said that he had to go into the Hasbro office and Dwight was there and they had the the Sentinel that's coming next year <laughs> with some modifications. And that the Sentinel was holding Marvel Girl. And I was like, yes, like I I, I didn't know that was like an image I wanted. And similarly, the the Cyclops head from the Lover's Triangle on the Krakoan Mm -hmm. body. I was like, that is how he's going to be displayed. Hell yeah. I mean, once I get my bookshelves up and running here, listeners, you can't see it. But, you know, I don't really have a shelf for my legends yet. They're all in boxes. That is the Cyclops that I'm having like front and center. So I'm really excited. The only grievance I have is some of the reviewers have pointed out that Jean and Moira are on the teen girl body mold. I, and look, I don't know. I, I, you have something to say. I know. Let, let, let me gather my thoughts here. You, you go, you go. Well, my, I, I don't have a problem with them being on that body because I think that a lot of the female figures we've gotten have been rather Amazonian in stature. Fair. They're, they're all real tall and they, you know, are taller than the male heroes, which works obviously for, for some of them. But, um, you know, for just like your regular everyday characters, like a Jean Grey or like a Boom Boom, who should just be like an average height, uh, they're a little tall. They're a little tall. So I don't mind them being sized down. I, the only thing that I think is, is kind of unfortunate here is that they're the same size as Jubilee. Whereas now we need the teen body to be sized down to be, you know what I mean? Like we I, need to have levels. We need to sc- various scales yeah. here. Not all of the females are going to be the same height. Um, and I don't know that they're based off of the teen body per se, because if you look at Moira, I think she shares her body with Gwen Stacy. And- yeah, well, I don't, yeah, I think once that's a straight up repaint of the Gwen Stacy body. Right. I have to get it in my, in my hand. I don't, here's the thing. Wait, I, I want to clarify. I think they're, they're superheroes of all different sizes. Yeah. And, you know, you have, you, you can't put Wolverine on the Bucky Cap mold. I mean, it just doesn't work. Right. And yeah, I think, the the first ones that come to mind are Wasp 
and Hellcat being on that powerhouse girl body mold, which doesn't suit them. So they would be suited better for this kind of mold, the teen mold. And, and yeah, some superheroes, maybe Jean and Jubilee are the same size height-wise. I don't know. Uh, it, it would make maybe, sense. I mean, maybe Myra's a bit more petite, you know, and I'm fine with that. It was just unexpected. And let's not talk about Moira because this is the first time we're getting her. I'm so excited. Right. But with Jean, it is a stark contrast between her 90s and this one. And then I can, and then you know where my mind goes. You know where my mind goes. I'm like, did Jean reboot herself back to that era in her life? And so this isn't the real Jean we have. And this oh is a God. hint from Hasbro. And it is not a hint from Hasbro. Hasbro has no clue. <laughs> so I, I'm fine with it. I need to hold it before I make my final assessment. Again, just unexpected. I wasn't trying to be salty on Twitter. I think it's a great moment. I think the Gwen, Gwen Stacy was my pick for top non-mutant yeah. legends yeah. of the year. So and you'll be thrilled with Moira. So I'll be thrilled with Moira. But with Jean, you know, that's, I'm sorry. And I I'm think so she, sorry. I think Jean is built off of the Peggy Carter body. Oh, is she? I didn't I know think that. so. You can tell I, by her shoes. They have, it has okay. the line. Stop it. So does Myra. Myra has a, the, the, you know, the, the line on her shoes. And I'm like, why does Jean have that on her boots? It's why? the Peggy Carter body then. I love Peggy Carter. I love Peggy Carter too. So I'm, I'm excited to, to, to get my hands on them. We'll see how I feel about them. IRL. Yeah, they look great. Pinless technology. So Marvel announced the launch of a sequel to Heroes Reborn by Jason Aaron and Ed McGinnis. Let me read the copy here because we saw the images and we tweeted and we Instagrammed the images. However, I didn't really know that the, the synopsis had been, you know, yeah. And out to the press. So welcome to a world where Tony Stark never built an Iron Man armor, where Thor is a hard drinking atheist who despises hammers. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just I'm reading this for the first time. I literally just copy and pasted this where Wakanda is dismissed as a myth and where Captain America was never found in the eyes because there were no Avengers to find him. It's coming May 2021. Jason Aaron said, this is maybe the wildest story I've ever put on paper. I got to cut loose on this and release my inner comic book reared child in a really profound way. And, and he goes on to say that he and the other artists that's working on this project have built a world that I'm pretty confident in saying is quite unlike any version of the Marvel Universe you've seen before. And... I, that's how I would, that quote from Jason Aaron is how I would describe reading Heroes Reborn, the original after Onslaught. And it's just, I love it because it's just pure, not, I'm not picking anything apart. I'm just enjoying the story I'm being told. And I just, I loved it. Never read it. Don't care. <laughs> not going to read this. Don't like Jason Aaron. Next, please. So wait, and, and here's, this is, this is something that got me a little angry. Executive editor Tom Bravot said, it's only natural that after the phoenix burns the world to ash, there should come a rebirth. And so reborn is the next big step in the massive super story that Jason and Ed have been crafting in Avengers. Let me tell you something. Tom Bravot, back during Second Coming, Messiah Complex, ragged on Gene Phoenix fans literally went as far as saying that the gene we saw in Ensong wasn't really gene. It was a zombie gene. He used to say this on the form spring when people asked him, Oh, but what about the locket Cyclops gave baby hope? He just trolled 
us. And he, I think at one point was like, I don't like anything with the name Gray in it. And I just remember even then like thinking like, wow, you're really isolating me. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? As a reader. And now you're going to be in charge of telling a, a new Phoenix story? No, fuck that. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't like to throw hate or be negative towards creators, but there are some creators and editors that like go on Formspring. Do you remember that? Do you remember, I remember Formspring? Forms, I remember that you remember Formspring. <laughs> Formspring, Twitter, and they isolate their fan base. And you shouldn't isolate your fan base. For every character you create, there's going to be a fan for it. And that fan wants to invest not only money, but time and identity. And I personally have a strong rapport with the Phoenix. I love the Phoenix as a character. I think it's, you know, there are some missteps like in AVX. And we'll see with Enter the Phoenix when we discuss it with our friends over at Legion on Zoom. But I really don't like that an editor who was trolling Gene fans and Phoenix fans specifically now gets to be at the helm when you have people in the X office who could do it. That's sure. <laughs> Great. I'm sorry. You know, in my notes, I just said Tom Bravote rant. Here. I mean, I that's feel it. like that's most of your notes is insert rant here and then you do and it's masterful. And, you know, I no shade. I, I support all of that. I remember Forum Spring being way more controversial than it ever needed to be because, you know, people like that kind of I'm, I'm going to say power trip. I'm going to say go on a power trip when yeah. they are in positions of power over over something that has a lot of fans like that. So I can definitely see uh, why you would feel disrespect from yeah. him in particular, but I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm just not a Jason Aaron fan. I'm <gasps> not a Jason Aaron really? fan. I think his Gene Foster Thor is great, but that's about it. I'm not, there's nothing else of his, especially his X books that I'm a fan of. Uh, and no shade. It's just not for me. He's a, he's a good writer, but yeah. I will be skipping this event. Yeah. A whole enthusiastically. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I didn't care for Wolverine and the X-Men. It wasn't the writing. I think it was more the marketing and the positioning. I loved his Wolverine solo series and it's going to go back. To Get Gene. Mystique was great, huh? but that's about it. Which one? Get Mystique. Oh, Directly yes. after Messiah Complex. Yes, you're absolutely, that was great. No shade on, on, on Jason Aaron. And again, to clarify, no shade on Tom for a vote. It's just my opinion. I just... I, I'm still a little sore from that era. All right, folks. So moving on to our next segment, it is the return of a segment that we have not done in a while because it's been a hot minute and a half since it was just the two of us. But if you remember, once upon a many moons ago, I lost a round of trivia to Dayspring and uh, my punishment, so to speak, was to read the OG Gambit miniseries from 1993 by Howard Mackey and Lee Weeks, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, wasn't really a punishment for someone who still owns all of their single-issue <laughs> floppies of that series. But uh, it was a trip down memory lane for sure. And either way, I, I owe you all my thoughts. So uh, let's do it. I'll give you a quick recap here. And I do just want to mention that this recap was harder to write than I was expecting. So if I missed anything, please chime in and let me know. But here we go. There is unrest on the streets of New Orleans as the tithe collector arrives to carry out the ancient tithing ceremony between the thieves and assassins guilds. 
something our hero Gambit is pretty unbothered by since he's gone off and become a big time superhero with the X-Men. Of course, the past has a way of catching up to you and soon Gambit is knee deep in both guild and family drama as in quick succession, his adoptive brother Henri is murdered by his presumed dead brother-in-law Julian who informs him that his sister, Gambit's wife, Belladonna, who was also presumed dead is in fact alive. This prompts Gambit to take a trip to New Orleans to investigate, oh, and because this is an X-Men comic and needs even more interpersonal excitement, Gambit's sweet Sherry Rogue joins him for the trip. While in New Orleans, plenty of shenanigans go down between both sides of Gambit's extended family, but in particular, we meet Gambit's father-in-law, Marius, who confirms that Belladonna is alive, but comatose, and we learn that Gambit needs the elixir of life in order to wake her up. Apparently, the elixir of life is what the Tithe Collector has been granting the Thieves Guild in exchange for their offerings all these years, but Gambit's adopted father, Jean-Luc, won't give it to him. It's then revealed that they, the external Kandra is the benefactress behind the whole tithing operation. So now Gambit is off to Paris to confront her and get what he needs to save Belladonna and maybe heal the rift between the guilds in the process. While Gambit is fighting his way to Kandra in Paris, Rogue is left alone with Belladonna, which goes just about as well as you'd expect. With Rogue inadvertently, but also maybe totally advertently, touching Belladonna and stealing her memories and her feelings for Gambit. This scene is feels like a throwaway in, in this, but it's actually pretty important since this knowledge helped fuel their will-they-won't-they they dynamic for decades. Anyway, in Paris, the rogue assassins led by Gambit's stepbrother Julian are also after the elixir of life, but Gambit manages to defeat them and steal what he needs from Kandra, slinking back to the United States. Upon his return, it's all-out warfare on the streets of New Orleans with both guilds and Kandra's troops trying to get their hands on Gambit. The Tithe Collector briefly gets the upper hand when he manages to nab Belladonna and Rogue, but of course Gambit saves them and then charges up the Tithe Collector's jacket, pushes him out the window, and casually watches him explode. Gnarly. So... It's all for nothing, though, as crazy Julian shows up, smashes Gambit's vial of elixir, and crushes his hopes of fully restoring Belladonna. It gets real crowded in Gambit's one-bedroom apartment real fast as Gambit's father-in-law Marius shows up with his posse to shoot his son Julian in the back, and then Kandra and her crew show up to, I don't know, have the assassins who are already there kill Gambit? I, sure, okay. Uh, but Mary says, no, we've changed our ways. So Kandra just like pieces out. Don't know why she bothered making that trip, but fine. Apparently Gambit's dad was also in the apartment the whole time and was like, I love you son, but leave New Orleans and never come back. And it's at this point that Gambit and Marius ring the few drops of spilled elixir that was on Belladonna's sheets into her mouth and she wakes up with no memory. Gambit identifies himself as just a friend and sends her off with daddy. So now it ends just Gambit and Rogue. He's a little sad about sending Belle away, but he understands it was the right thing to do because now he can move on with Rogue. And <laughs> that's exactly what he tries to do the minute this drama is over as he leans in for a kiss. She pushes him away and flies off into the night. And with that, Gambit charges up his wedding photo with Belladonna, throws his past away, and walks silently off into the night. I love how you recap that. Did I miss anything? No, you did it perfectly. And, <sighs> you know, I, I'm i so glad I gave you a really good book to read and not something like Pixie Strikes Back. I mean, I, 
does someone have feels on this? I mean, look, obviously I've read this series many, many times over, you know, like I said, I still have my original issues from when I was a kid. And I, I definitely have a lot of fond memories associated because that first issue with the gold foil gambit logo, uh, I bought that at the spinner rack at the Tom Thun grocery store. And it was probably the first comic that I read every issue of in real time as it was happening. So, so like, it definitely holds a very special place in my heart and I will mm -hmm. always love it. But that being Go. said, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Go. Does it hold up? I'm not, I'm not, I'm really not so sure. I'm not so you sure. Don't I think so. I don't disagree, but I, I'm in defense of it. So I want to hear your thoughts. Well, you know, like I said, I think there's a lot to like here. And I think definitely fleshing out Gambit was necessary at this point in his, you know, comic book career. And I think, you know, I like that they did a lot of, of ideas that were like unique to him. No other X-Men has this backstory. So, you know, he wasn't a charter pilot or government weapon or reformed supervillain or any of those other X-Men cliches. So that's great. But I almost think that a little too much might be happening here. They're introducing like way too much at, at once because when I was reading it, I didn't so much pick up on, on a lot happening, but when I was going back over it to recap for this, I sort of realized, you know, how busy it all was and how many connections are here. Like we've got the adopted brother and father, we've got the father-in-law, the crazy brother-in-law, the thieves, the assassins, Kandra, Gideon, the externals, goons, and everybody's betraying everyone else. <laughs> and they're all going after this like super ill-defined MacGuffin. Yes. And yes. I, I, it, it's just kind of hard to keep track of. And I, I think that the story might have been better served had it been pared down a little bit like the whole midsection where he went to Paris that could probably have been cut out completely and we still would have gotten the same story I agree with you that when I've I reread this series like every three months and I always think the Paris part I'm like that's so it's so jarring from a it narrative is. standpoint like why didn't they just if I was the editor at the time, I would have been like, next, no, you know, like cut this. Just have Kandra be in New Orleans because she yeah. shows up there in the finale anyways and then just leaves. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. That's exactly what I thought. I Here's the thing. I did not visit New Orleans until I was probably 30. <laughs> and the thing about this series, it's so atmospheric. Yeah. It is so New Orleans. And I think when you when you're reading it, you see how much Lee Weeks poured into it from a detail perspective, from a love perspective. Gambit looks cool as shit. This yeah. is this is how I always describe the series. I'm always like, there's this notion that it needs to be, you know, substance over style, and that if it's style over substance, that's horrible. And I don't agree with that. I think style sometimes is just as good as substance, yeah. as long as you know what you're getting into. I love this for that reason. It's highly stylized. You get Rogue and Gambit. You get a very complex origin story for Gambit, which at the time, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, not many heroes were from Louisiana, specifically New Orleans, that had this origin tied to it. And the Church of Lost Thieves, it's that messy 90s plot spliced with like very complicated personal relationships very which are, complicated which are so defining of the x-men and i feel gambit's origin to me is just as important to the x-men mythos as the summers family origins 
And, and they might be the same. And they might be the same. Exactly. Exactly what I was about to say. And, and they hint at this. Like, Henri is actually his adopted, you know, brother. Gambit, you know, we don't know where his biological parents are yeah. or, or, where, or where he was originally from. I just, I love that. And again, I was a boy from South Florida, from Miami. I did New Orleans. Like, this is all I knew about New Orleans. Right. So right. I, I have, I, I acknowledge editorially if i was the editor i would have taken that red pen i would have done all, i think the representation of women in this is deeply problematic deeply problematic I, rogue touching belladonna and motivated by you know her lust and need for gambit and then at the end gambit being like a whiff of this back ass and you don't even know who i am anymore goodbye and i'm like you this woman doesn't have her memories. She's owed her memories. Yeah. And then and Rogue he, has them. And Rogue has them. Exactly. And and now he's going to go off with Rogue who now has her memories. I just think it's it was deeply problematic. Yep. And you know, it's one of the things that I loved about this and you may have said this to Larry Houston that you thought how they did it in the animated series. Yeah. was way better. I do agree that the animated series sort of boiled down these plots to a lot simpler format. I mean, they had to, it was a 20 minute episode. Yeah. So of course they had to, but it just, the, the story was cleaner to me. Yeah. And I think that it kind of got the same point across, but you know, the, the art by Lee Weeks is, is, is my kind of nineties. And I think that, that Howard Mackey successfully writes a gambit who's sexy, mysterious, and kind of a douche all at the same time. And, and it gave and, answers to his to who he was. They didn't, yeah. we have questions, but he was giving us answers. So it's hard when you're not developed as a child, like to think of stories in a very complex way. You're just being spoon-fed something. And, and for me, I feel like it was spoon-fed to a point where I just digested it. Right, and, right. You know, I just accepted this narrative for what it was. And even, even as an adult, I, I was able to do that. Like I said, it wasn't until I sat down and really had to figure out who's who, how are they related to Gambit? What is the interconnectedness of all of this? Uh, and how does that serve the story that I really took a step back and was like, this is maybe a little more complicated <laughs> than it needs to be. But, you know, like I said, I, I, it, it, it worked. Uh, I don't know what else you, you could want for, for the character of Gambit at this point. Okay. And overall, I, I really do give the series high marks. I would say if we're going to rate it on a scale, you know, one to five, I would probably give it a 3.5. Okay, I, that's fair. I, th I think that's fair. And the other thing about the series that I think is great, it gets continued in the Rogue Mini. And that yeah. was... That was my gateway drug to collecting the books weekly or, or yeah. knowing, again, knowing that you can get these comics monthly and you have to follow along. So yeah. I, I have nothing but love for them. And, but I think objectively your rating and sort of your review is, is perfect. I mean, I'm always going to have a little bit more nostalgia to throw behind these, these 90s titles we're reviewing. But uh, this one, despite its, its weaknesses, is a very good, enjoyable series that I would, that I would recommend. But, uh, you know, it's my turn. Oh, is it? It's my turn. <laughs> I am ready to ask you some questions and hopefully stump you Bring so that, that I get to choose uh, the next little reading challenge here. Bring it and on. I've decided, I, I've decided that, that since we've got some pretty exciting stuff going on with, with Banshee right now, that I wanted <sighs> to do 
a little banshee themed <laughs> trivia. Uh, I do want I do have to give you a spoiler alert. Okay. Um, you know, where Banshee isn't the subject of what I've decided for you to read. It's okay. it's just the subject of the questions. I, there's something very specific I've been I have been in my mind. Somebody mentioned it. I saw someone mention it online a few weeks ago, and I, I have wanted to read it ever since. So we'll get to that. But your questions are going to be Banshee focused and given that you're so passionate about Sean Cassidy, I'm sure you're going to be five for five. Oh, yeah. Are you ready? Oh, I, I was born ready. Okay. Question number one. And we're, we're, we're going there right off the bat. What is the name of the leprechaun who lives <laughs> at Cassidy Keep and shows up during the Phoenix Saga and a few issues of Generation X? Um. Oh my God. Phoenix Saga and Generation X. You should know this. I I do know the leprechaun you are speaking of because it was in Generation X number like what six, four, uh -huh. something like that. Where 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 the castle goes missing. So yep. I know what you're talking about. You Thank know you. what I'm talking about, I but know do what you're you talking know about. who? <laughs> I'm not dancing around the question, but who who are we? Who what, what's in a name? Who's anyone? <laughs> you're trying. You're trying it. No. No. So is that, are, are you giving up? I'm, no, no, I'm not giving up. I'm just going to remain silent and let you tell me the answer. The answer is Eamon O'Donnell. I would never have gotten that. I would never have gotten Eamon O'Donnell. No, I would nor, have. Nor did I even absorb. Oh, really? If I would have asked you that randomly. Really? Okay, fine. I never absorbed the the, the character's name. Uh, it's it's nice to know you don't absorb something from the <laughs> comics because usually it's you. Like, how do you not know this? How do you not remember this? I remember da, 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 and I'm usually like, <laughs> I wish you could have seen listeners how Flink's interpretation of me and my head gesture. Da, da, da. I mean to say, no. Okay, <laughs> if so only I had the forelock you have. Maybe question two. Maybe. maybe, maybe you'll do a little bit bit maybe. better here. Maybe <clears throat> in the age of apocalypse. Okay, fair. Banshee sacrifices himself to stop what villain? Oh my god! Oh my god! Who did he sacrifice? I, I really thought that this was like wait giving wait, it to you. Astonishing X Men were fighting Holocaust. And mm -hmm. who were the amazing X-Men fighting? I mean, I know. I know you know because you made the question up. Jesus. I knew before. Oh my God. Wait, wait. Was it Shadow King? Is that your final answer? That's going to be my final answer, Shadow King. <gasps> it was Abyss. You know what? Was I thinking of it? No, I was definitely thinking lava jar, <laughs> lava but, lamp jar, <laughs> shadow yep, king. No, I'm, lamp, not, I'm not. King. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to be a bitch and like be like, oh, we should get. No, I really. I was no, thinking of lava. You were lamp, wrong. Shadow. It's I was fine. Wrong. I was wrong. It's fine. It's fine. It's. Fine. I mean, I, I okay. It. Well, this third question. If you don't get it right, then uh, I already win. But we'll we'll go. Well, through no, we can still go through it. I, I'll I'll we'll take it. All of them. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, number three. What is the name of Banshee's wife, Siren's mother? <gasps> I have no idea. <laughs> like, no, I never thought about her mother. <laughs> I never Maeve. thought about her. Who? Maeve. Maeve Rourke. Siren is Maeve. named after her. Teresa okay. Maeve Rourke Cassidy. 
Okay, well, you know, I'm not the biggest Teresa Cassidy stan, so oh, I don't dislike her at all, but I'm just not a stan. I, I've never, Flink, when I tell you I have never thought of Siren's mother until this moment. I am telling you right now. Great, great. Wait, how old, well, let and me ask all, you a question. All that is, is how, another... How w old were they when they had when they had Siren? Because Banshee is presumably in his forties, you know, fifties, and you know, Siren's in her. I I've always thought she's in her mid to late twenties. I would say she's probably in her early twenties. Fine, okay, oh, thank you. So, how, but still, that's like he. Yeah. I guess by yeah, they had her young. They had her young. Okay, they had her young. Okay, fair. All right, so we're we're okay. gonna. I win, but we're win. gonna. But let's let, you you've won, but let's let's hear these for prosperity's sake. I'll, now watch I'll me get these next two questions. <laughs> these these we're we're moving on to quotes now. Okay, let's hear quotes. So I maybe you'll quotes. be better. Okay. <clears throat> Finish this quote. Okay. You know, for an oversexed mind witch, you really are a. Oh my god! <laughs> Can you not hear Jeremy saying this? I did hear Jeremy saying this and I'm trying to remember. Is this where Fanola was like, we just have to put our minds away and say this line? I, yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, so it's from the Generation X movie. I don't, I can't finish it. I can't finish it. You know, for an oversexed mind witch, you really are a tight ass. <laughs> Can you imagine being Jeremy Ratchford and having to say that to Fanola Hughes? I don't think I would be able to. I would be I, worried that those pleather boots would be find their way up my ass. She would just be like, I, I feel like she would just look at you and like her wind the, machine. The 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 line between Emma Frost and Fanola blurred in that oh, moment. Yeah. Blurred. The wind machine starts going and she lifts her arm and just blows <laughs> it away. All right. Well, you're four for four, my friend. No, Let's make I, it five for five, perhaps. Right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. All right. It. So this is from the animated series. Okay. Fill in the blanks. Two blanks. Okay, two blanks, two blanks. A blank fighting a blank is the Cassidy family crest. It's carved in stone above the hearth in the great hall of Cassidy Keep. Is it Griffin? It's two the, things. Okay, a, a Griffin fighting, fighting a blank. Is Griffin one of them? What the fuck is a griffin? A griffin. I mean, is that another word for stag? No, it's definitely not stag. Then no. Then griffin. No. I mean, I know what a griffin is. I think I don't know what a stag is. A stag is like a deer with like really beautiful antlers. Okay. So <laughs> a stag is just a deer with beautiful antlers. So no. Okay. It is not a griffin fighting a blank. It is a stag. Hey, wait, 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 wait. So that's one. Wait, wait, I have one more. So I'm trying to, I know exactly the scene, but, and I can picture the Cassidy family crust. Is it a snake? It is a dragon. Oh. A stag fighting a dragon. Okay. Man, are you sure you want to endorse Banshee? <laughs> what, am I a politician that doesn't know what he's talking about? Unheard of. Unheard of. Unheard look, of. Look, Flink, I just... I wanted you to feel better. So oh, I sure. purposely lost all of this. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. You threw, you threw the competition. Something I threw the competition the just time. for you. Just for you. You're so good at losing. <laughs> okay. All well, right. So what, since what, you lost spectacularly, but it was a spectacular showing. Thank um, you. I'm going to force you. <laughs> force it's just me. two issues. It's just two issues here. Okay. And there is no official name for, for this, but I want you to read Uncanny X-Men number 151 
and 152, the legendary Storm and Emma Frost body swap. <gasps> done. Absolutely Somebody done. mentioned it. I don't That's, know who it was. I, I don't know who either. And you know what? It's so funny you said that because for book club, I, we, I've been reading The Phalanx Covenant and mm -hmm. Storm and Iceman are the ones attending to Emma. And Sean Cassidy is like, oh man, like Xavier has, I'm paraphrasing, Xavier, Xavier has balls to have these two managing Emma because she's hurt them the most by taking yep. their body swaps. And yep. it just happened with Bobby. So I went back and I read the Bobby and I thought to myself, oh, I should really like absorb the storm one because I don't think I've read it. I mean, I've it's read the summaries. Great. It's great. Done. It's great. Dude, get out of my head. That is 100% perfect. But you see, I could just recite a Banshee scene off the top of my head. Why didn't you give me those scenes? in the? You because I wanted you to lose. It's fine. It's fine. I lost and that's it. And I'll happily, I happily accept this punishment. Fantastic. I can't wait to I can't wait issues. to strike back. Oh, okay. Lord. You're never going to let me live that down. Do you know how much anxiety I had trying to pick something that you weren't going to just fucking roast me for? <laughs> it was pretty savage. It was a pretty savage. It was savage. quite it was pretty, savage. I had feels on Pixie Strikes Back. Well, speaking, speaking of feels, feels. Yes! We said that at the same time. Should we, should we dive into our thoughts and some of the weekly books that we've missed? Yeah. So listeners, you know, we started this podcast off going through 10 of swords and the weeklies week by week. We love that. You know, Flink and I have sort of gone back and forth. Should we be covering the weeklies religiously? Should we, you know, interject, you know, at the end of the month or when they're big stories? You let us know. If you're enjoying us covering the weeklies, send us an email at generationsofx at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter or Instagram. And, you know, we love the weeklies. We're reading them, but we haven't had a chance to recap them. So we thought we'll just go through all the titles and talk about our feels for that. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, to, to echo what Dayspring said, if you guys really like that weekly format, that's something that we will definitely consider bringing back. But but we, we've been having a lot of fun with interviews and guests and collaborations that we really didn't want to box ourselves in. Like we have to do this every single week, yeah. but we want to we want to know what you guys like. And we're 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 happy to to serve the fans. Yes, absolutely. So the first book to talk about is Hickman's X-Men. So. I know that that Brett Booth is is a complicated figure for a lot of folks. So I don't want to take too much time praising his work on on X Men number seventeen. But 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 I'm yeah. I, I I loved this issue. It it felt so nineties, and it gave me like all the X Men Unlimited number five vibes, which is like a, a, a Shi'ar story. I think it's the first time we actually see Deathbird. In this look, I can that cover is beautiful. It's from X Men Unlimited number five. The second you said that, I could just picture it yeah. in my yeah. head. I mean, it, that issue it had like ridiculously over the top art from from Liam Sharp, um, and it this just really reminded me of that. It got me all those good '90s vibes, so I was really uh, on board with it for 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 that reason. But uh, you know, aside from just the art. Um, I mentioned it, I sort of teased this earlier when we were talking about the vote. This issue makes a really strong case for Cannonball and Sunspot staying in outer space. And that's something that our friend Justin over over at, at the X-Wife podcast mentioned that he'd like a book 
with the two of them in space. And after reading this, I definitely agree. The template for it is this. The bromance um, in space. Yeah, I think it would be great. The the bromance in space. It would be it would be epic. And you know, that's sort of that's sort of my thoughts on it. What did I sort of dominated that, didn't I? What did what, what did you think <laughs> of it, Dayspring? No, I loved hearing that. I the art, I want to be very clear, we do not endorse, I don't even want to say his name. That being said, though, the art was very in your face. It was powerful. It was the, there were some poses there. You know, with Hickman, my general criticism before Ten of Swords, and I'm going to echo it now after Ten of Swords, there's a lot of one-off stories that are mm -hmm. clearly setting something up. We know this is we know Storm is going to be ascending. We saw her holding the black diamond from Sword, and now the Shi'ar hold you know, have a favor or, or beholden to her for a favor. So we know something's going to be happening with them and sword or presumably a much larger story is happening there. Yeah. I just, I'm kind of done with this one-off storytelling. I want to start seeing a little bit more of a thread in Hickman's narratives. This is Hickman. I'm trying to do your voice. This is <laughs> the head of X. This is the head of X. This is Hickman. Hickman is a fine writer. I'm not going to, this isn't a criticism on his writing. I feel he's running a really great ship. However, I feel all the crewmates and everyone on board are just doing their own thing everywhere. And Hickman's kind of just like dancing around all of them. I want Hickman to be steering us towards something. Maybe he is, and I just don't see it yet. I'm totally open to that. But, you know, even the previous issue, number six, with Phil Noto's art, who, which that I love Phil Noto, but that issue in particular felt a little rush. I think Phil Noto, if there's a note I can give about his art that isn't 100% like gushing over it, is you can tell when he's he feels yeah. rushed. And, you know, we have Doug coming to, you know, the Krakoan Council, and he's talking about how the Arako and Krakoa aren't, you know, combining and that the islands don't like each other. And then they go to talk to Iska and Iska's like, we have 20 times more mutants than you. And you're like, okay, well, that's another plot. And there's so many of these baby plots that are being set up that I, I can't keep track of them. And yeah. again, the writing isn't bad. Writing's great. And I just, I, but I just can't, I, I just want to see this go somewhere. Same, same. And I, I, I honestly, I forgot about that Phil Noto issue. I don't even, didn't even consider it for, <laughs> for preparing for this. Whoops. So our next one is a book that I love so much. And we're only on issue two. And I am such a stan of it. It's Sword. Have we talked about Sword official? I, feel I like was going to say, I think you, you, yes, yes. We've talked about oh, we did because Sword. You're right. We talked about Sword when I was in Florida. I love that first issue. We've only had one issue since, and it's, I guess, a tie-in. I still thought it was a great tie-in, and we got our answer to who the psionic analysis is, and it's Mentallo. And I love that he is on the crapper <laughs> when Agent Brand buzzes. I feel that in my heart. I just, you know, I have a deep fascination with space. I love Valerio's art. I thought, I think it's so great. I think the writing is wonderful. I just love the, I love that these D-list characters are being flushed out in a very fun way. I mean, yeah, I, <laughs> Yo, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I forget you have bad taste. So of course you're not going to like this book. I mean, no, it's not that I don't like it. I just think that Ewing clearly, he tried his best to not let a forced 
crossover tie-in ruin the setup for his book. I mean, this is only the second issue and we're already jumping head first into a non X-Men crossover. So that really pisses me off, but he does have a great deal of, of success, making sure that his own stories and plot points don't, don't get lost in that. You know, we get follow-up on Fabian and Magneto. We get more frenzy and whiz kid being amazing, but overall I, I don't care one bit <gasps> one bit about king and black and i think that it really oh, okay. sucks that we had to dive right into that just as we've got our status quo here and i'm sorry but a venomed cable reveal at the end that that is there it could not be a bigger yawn from me literally everyone has been venomed these days and it does not have the kind of impact that i think that they want it to and it actually makes me kind of about the whole thing. I'm curious from an editorial standpoint why they would think a new book at issue two would serve as a crossover. They Especially, want people to jump yeah. in. And I know Egypt Brand is like, I have a plan, you know, if Earth becomes, you know, too much of a liability and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I, I get that. And I appreciate exactly what you just said that it's worked into, you know, the story in a very great way. But look, regardless of that, I, I thought I just, I'm having such a fun time with this. This to me gives me discoverability for characters that I would have otherwise dismissed. And it just takes me back to just being a fan and just listening to these stories and taking them in. So I love it. I love WizKid. I am 100, like that, he's shot right up there with Doug Ramsey. <laughs> Fabian Cortez, I was talking about this with Planet X-Men. I'm like, I... I feel for Fabian Cortez and Planet X-Men is like, what, you betray people? <laughs> you know? like, no, I just, to be, to dedicate yourself to a cause and then to feel overlooked and, and to be a powerhouse and no one really appreciates you. I just think they've, they've given him such great layers and I just love his look. I love the high fashion and I love his delusion that he's of Spaniard royalty. So I'm enjoying the book. I can go on and on. Yeah, so, we'll see where it goes. I just, I think it, it was unfortunate that it was hijacked by a crossover. This next one, it's all you, because I know how you feel about this book. Yeah, so the next one is is Marauders. And uh, after the Kitty Shaw revenge issue, uh, we definitely needed a bit of a breather. And this issue is basically, basically that. Um, you know, we, we check in on the other subplots, like Christian Frost and Shinobi Shaw, you know, Emma's new Hellfire HQ that she built courtesy of Magneto. Uh, but really the main story of this issue is Callisto asking Storm to fight her in the Crucible so that she can die uh, and be reborn fully powered. Um, and, a, you know, just a reminder that Callisto was depowered by the Pretender and she has not been repowered as of yet. So I don't know that we knew that at, the, at, at this point. So her... I, I didn't. And I forgot I didn't. that the Pretender had depowered her. Right, right. So, um, you know, she's asking Storm if she'll be the one to, to fight her to the death. And obviously, I think that makes perfect sense, given their history. I understand why Callisto wants it to be Storm. And I understand why Storm would initially refuse. But um, Storm eventually does, you know, come around. And it, it is a really nice fight. Of course, Storm wins. Callisto dies. And she is reborn with her, her mutant powers fully intact. Um, and I, I it, it was a good issue. It was a good issue. Um I think my only problem with it would be, I, I know that Callisto has been rendered prettier and prettier over the years, but I think here the art has gone a little too far with it. She's a little, yeah, she's a bombshell, basically. She looks stunning. I'm going through the issue right now. 
in that white with her hair slicked back and that coral lipstick. Yeah, I mean, I don't need all the characters, especially female characters, to look a certain way. Right. But that being right. said, maybe maybe Callisto just wanted to dress up. I, maybe her, so, maybe so. I mean, I get the outfit. You know, Jumbo Carnation went through the trouble of getting her of dressing her, and it's not so so much that I have a problem with her dressing different. It's a problem that she's supposed to be physically an outcast, and that she looks like a supermodel just gives me cause for pause. But overall, I mean, I thought, she looks like a supermodel. Right. I mean, that's a, there's no arguing with that. There, no one's overreaching there with the art. She runways her oh yeah the oh future. yeah and it, it, that, that's a little disappointing i think you know it'd be nice for editorial to maybe make a note that callisto should not be drop dead gorgeous but uh overall you know this is another great issue of marauders i, I really don't have it's a firmly middle issue so i don't have a whole middle lot to issue. say other than i liked it middle issue but they're setting up the hellfire gala yes we have saucer and gumbo being like emma how many how many mouths are we feeding emma how many costume changes do you want and i'm like all of them all of them. Yes to all of that. I don't know what the, <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm excited for it. And, you know, Storm is leaving at the end of this last issue. And presume the, the way I've taken it is that she's going to sword and she's going to be part of the mutant space program in some way, shape or form, which, you know, this kind of like goes to what you were saying. I don't think I need Storm on on Sword. It, it, this is not even a B-list team. This is a D-list team, and yeah. I want these characters to get their stories. and And Storm should have her own solo book. Storm should be leading X Men somewhere else. I I don't know. I don't want her to zap the narrative from someone like Wizkid or Metro right just yet. Well, we'll see. We will see we what will happens. See. Excalibur. What's up with Betsy here? What's I mean. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. As usual, Excalibur is kind of one that I want to enjoy more than I actually do enjoy. That's not to say that I don't think that there's some good stuff going on on here. I think that the stuff with Queen Betsy, who is, of course, our Betsy, uh, and, and Quanon is Quanon, is great. But I, I don't feel like they did enough with it. I think I would have like to have seen Quanon as something more than an angry ex-girlfriend of angels who doesn't trust Betsy and like really gotten something of substance between them. But, you know, since this isn't our, our, our Quanon on our world, I guess they're saving that for, you know, a future issue. Um, it's fine, you know, as entertaining so far as Excalibur goes. And it seems like we're, we're really getting the plot moving now that Betsy's back and the gang's moving into the lighthouse. And we checked in with Mariana Stern and Clan Akaba from the first arc. But I, we'll see. It's not my favorite, but it's not the worst. I've come to really, first of all, I just want to say that Excalibur, as, as we have mentioned over and over again, was the most anticipated book for yeah. Dawn of X, for me at least, for me at least. And... I I don't think Teeny Howard's a terrible writer. I think she's great at world building and I love her dialogue and her and Hickman together, I think have delivered the, some of the best storytelling in X-Men yeah. that we've, we haven't had in, in years. So, you know, on their own, you know, Hickman has his flaws with pacing. Teeny Howard just gets so involved with the world building that it kind of like turns me off. So, you know, let's see what's going on with Betsy. I will say, I think the Megan issue, the one before this last one was really good. I loved that Jamie K 
came to Sinister and was like, okay, you know, time to, you know, close our deal. And Sinister's like, give me back my cape, which we can talk about that a little bit more. I think the art's solid. I've post Ten of Swords, I've come to really enjoy Teeny Howard's Excalibur. I've I've liked these last two issues. I'm just curious to see where we're gonna go with it. I, I think I just found I, I I think I caught her rhythm and now I can go with her storytelling, which before I didn't think it was gonna be so deep into other worlds. So I can go back and appreciate those first, you know, couple arcs in yeah. a different way. So I, 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 I like Excalibur quite a bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm firmly still wait and see when it comes to Excalibur. I, I don't dislike it, but it's, it hasn't been doing too much for me overall in the, it's in the Hickman era. Uh, something that's not doing so much for me is X-Force. And I just want to apologize to you, Flink because when these Dawn of X books were coming out and we were ranking them, I was like, you're insane. X-Force is number one. And now I'm like, oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, X-Force, it, it, kind of, it kind of is what it is. I mean, first of all, Beast is the fucking worst, as usual. Oh, Beast. I mean, he thinks he know he always thinks he knows what's best and he's accusing, now he's accusing his friends of being treacherous and whatnot when... We all know he's the one who's up to no good on Krakoa, but you know, I digress. I, I, I have to say, bless Dr. Reyes for, for, for standing up to him when he started I, getting, he literally started getting like hard eyes about weaponizing this unknown I substance. Had that in my notes. I had that in my notes. Exactly. Yes. She had to check his ass so that he didn't immediately just go and take this unknown weapon and, 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 and turn it into something that he can't control, which is just such a fucking beast thing to do. But other than that, man, I, I don't even know what to really say about X-Force. I mean, the art is gorgeous, yeah. but it, it, it's just not doing much for me. And specifically this, it came from below plot. It, it No, it's yeah. not grabbing me. I just, I'm way. not, I'm not it getting it. It looks stupid. It makes yeah, everybody it makes look, stupid look stupid. Because What's going on with like, yeah. Sorry, like, like, like where's Sage and Black Tom? Like, where are their defenses? That's How exactly do they what I was about to say. Thing? Where's Black Tom? I, I, I mean, the... I'm not making this up. This is something I was told is a thing. Black Tom is security on Krakoa. We got Sage, who we know is beyond capable, but... I mean, you just think they would be prepared for something like this or have detected it sooner. And it just, it makes everyone on this island just seem way too trusting. And it's like nobody really checked or asked too many questions. Like they just were like, we're moving to Krakoa and hopefully everything's okay. Like what? Um, speaking of asking questions, I thought New Mutants asks some pretty good questions, and I think it's a really great book. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 it's obviously I'm enjoying the New Mutants. I, I love, you know, the New Mutants team proper. I love all the various students, and I think that the group of students that Vida Ayala has, has chosen to, to, you know, feature here is diverse. They're interesting. I, I honestly think this is the most screen time Rainboy has ever gotten. Um, <laughs> and I really think that the, the training from the New Mutants where they're working on power combos and synergy, I think mm -hmm. all of that was really cool, really well done. Warpath um, in his gym shorts. That, I'm just gonna say that. I, I mean. I was sold the second I saw that, but what really sold me on, on, on this relaunch was the conversation they had about clones, mm -hmm. about Madeline oh, yeah. Pryor, about Honey Badger. I'm just, I think Vita, is a wonderful writer. They tackled something the fandom wanted to know about. Great editorial direction. I, I love the art. I love the characters featured. I have nothing but praise for New Mutants. New Mutants is probably 
objectively a really well-written book and it's worthy of everyone's pull list and time to sit down and read. I, I would say, you know, I, I agree with all of that. And something I'm really excited for, in addition to everything you mentioned, is clearly something is brewing with karma. Yeah. I think it's beyond time that that karma had something, you know, sure. going on for her. But I do have one sure. slight nitpick and one one question of course you do. Uh, for you. Do you not think Petra is a little too old to be hanging with these kids? <laughs> like, I don't know how old the, the Deadly Genesis team is meant to be, but I definitely didn't get like mid-range teenager from them. Well, I mean, we can talk about how some of these characters are being written and sounding younger than they actually are when we get to X Factor. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm sure I'm just kind of taking it all in there and i did i did cock my head a little bit at that it was a little it was a little like like, even more yeah i just getting wasted on the moon with gabriel like yeah and having a threesome so yeah i i just i agree how old is she i need to know she's old old enough to be partaking in the the filth on the moon i i thought that too the only thing i can say is that like she was inactive for you know an indeterminable amount of time oh, yeah. and and now she has to catch up so she has to train with younger sure younger ones sure x factor so what really makes me excited about this book is of course that it's following up on a long abandoned siren mystery last we saw her in peter david's x factor she was of course possessed by the dark celtic force the morrigan Uh, And until now, it looked like that plot thread had been completely dropped. But, uh, you know, in a scene with Polaris and this issue, it is very clear that Siren is still possessed. And I'm really excited to see this thread picked up. And I cannot wait to see where it goes. All right, Cable. I really like Cable. This is one of my favorite. Don't be salty. One of my favorite books. Strife is back. Strife, is, Strife back. is back, but he did, sure doesn't say anything, does he? Strife is back. Kid Cable is dating the Cuckoos. I mean, the drama is still there. And, and, and we also see Rachel and Kid Cable being siblings. And what I love about this, and this could be because I read Asgardian Wars, it's we see Rachel finally fulfilling that role of big sister to her, to her little brother. And, and he, Kid Cable, depends on her. She comes in and she's able to figure it out with the cops and they're able to go about the mystery. And like when he's going to do something, she can levitate the babies while he takes out the bad guys. I thought it was so beautiful. I I think Rachel really shines. It reminds me of what you said when you picked Emma as your top X-Men of the year. It's because it may be Kitty's book, but Emma really shines. I will say this issue. It may be Cable's book, but Rachel really shined. Yeah, and so the last book that we have to talk about is 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 Hellions. And for once, I don't really have a lot to say about this book. You know, it was kind of just one long fight scene. Um, yeah. I like the twist that Hodge is a robot and that the, the Smilers sort of turned on him and, you know, teamed up with, with, with the Hellions there at the end. And I definitely think it'll be interesting to see what what nanny does with that creepy ass smiley baby but overall (laughs) okay i i love zebels i do and i i don't know if i'm just butthurt after what went down with maddie but i just when i look when i even think of like let me look at this book objectively the pacing and some stuff just felt off to me 
again, we've talked about this creepy scientist, sinister versus campy, you know, quirky scientist. And I don't know. I, I want to like this book. I want to give my time and money to Zeb Wells because I think Zeb Wells is a great writer. I'm just, I haven't been sold. Like the issue right after Ten of Swords, I believe we discussed like, yes. Why, why is everyone stupid? Why is everyone falling susceptible to Sinister? And even the pacing with this, I just, I'm glad Cameron Hodge is back. I love the smiley drones from, you know, Second Coming, that, that issue with, the, the second coming issue one, I thought was great. I love that 2010 realness, but. Uh, it was okay. It it's was okay. okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm not dropping it. I'm not wild about it. We can't drop it. We can. We can't. Oh, we can't. Yeah. This is no, an X-Men I, podcast. I know. I know what I mean. It's like, I'm not spiritually going to drop it. You know, right. I'm I, know. Like I know. It in. I'm going to, you know, but I'm just not, I'm not like, oh my God, it's here. You know what I mean? Which, Which is, is what I was when it initially was announced. I was oh my very, God. very and, excited for this. And the pandemic I was very happened. excited for the first arc. I thought that everything went great until Grey Crow fired that bullet. And I know. It's just, then... and, and Zeb Wells responded to us on Twitter. and was like, do you think it was fun writing that? No. Yeah, I do I actually. I, think <laughs> I was like, I hope not Zeb Wells. I hope it wasn't fun that you did that. So. Well, he could come on this show and explain himself if he really wanted to. We tweeted at you, Zeb Wells. Come on. We'll come have on, you. Zeb. Come on, Zeb. Well, anyways, I, I think, wow, we did a lot of two hours. Jesus Christ, we need to streamline ourselves. I mean, my God, we were like, yeah, we'll just have this quick episode, just the two of us catching up on what we missed, doing a little news. And here we are two hours later. Holy shit. Holy shit. Well, I love doing these one-on-ones with you because we are obviously neurotic and so passionate. Yeah. And it's funny, for as much as we agree on things, then when we disagree, we disagree. These are comics. We, we, we're picking them apart and fair when when we, when we do that, we're always, we're, we're going to find things that piss us off. And I just, I don't know. I'm trying to, I'm trying this thing where I don't let like single panel occurrences bother me anymore because I can hold a grudge. Oh, can you hold a grudge? All right. With that being said, I'm the uncanny day spring. And I'm the adjectiveless Flinkman. And we'll see you all next week. Peace out y'all. Thank you.